Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give thanks that you are faithful to dwell with us and among us and speak to us, most especially through this, your word. We pray you'd open our ears, our hearts, to hear what it is you have to say to us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture readings come from the lectionary for this Sunday, April 28th, and the Old Testament reading is from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then into the Gospel of John. We arrive in the Gospel of John after Jesus. He's he's just been raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus alive, raised in the garden, and has told the disciples that I've seen the Lord. He's risen. He's alive. And that brings us to to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. A quick story about this. I I walked here to the church this morning from our house, and and upon arriving uh, this morning, realized I had forgotten the keys to the church, uh, as well as my computer with the sermon on it. And uh, I didn't have time, definitely didn't have time to walk back, so I call a lift and I'm, I'm telling the driver my, my situation and why I'm calling for this, this ride. And, and he goes, oh man, don't forget the sermon. And then he goes, what's it on? And I say, well, uh, in a word, forgiveness. And he goes, ooh. That's a tough one for a lot of folks. So John chapter 20 verses 19 to 23. A tough one for a lot of folks. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands, his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any... They are retained. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I can remember a season of my life as a young child where I uh, simply could not and would not stick my arm over the side of my bed when I was going to sleep. I feared someone could be hiding under my bed and would grab my arm, would pull my arm down and under, would kidnap me, would... uh, Something... So I held my arms tightly by my side, remained very motionless, and was just wide awake for the longest of times, looking, waiting 
for the bad thing to happen. Now, I lived in a safe neighborhood. Parents locked the doors at night. Many nights I had my parents check under the bed before I went to bed. I had plenty of good, reliable, reasonable reasons to be assured there is absolutely nobody under my bed. But that is the funny thing about fear. It just doesn't care for knowledge or reason. Fear is fundamentally irrational. Some fear, of course, is good and needful. Some fear keeps us on our toes. Some fear keeps us out of our trouble. Some fear has us wear our seatbelts, right? But the fear I'm talking about is, is the kind that projects these worst possible scenarios out there under the bed or wherever. It's the kind of fear that makes a people tense. The kind of fear that paralyzes the motion. The kind of fear that that sort of keeps us awake watching for the next bad thing that is going to happen. Our passage in John chapter 20 begins with the disciples locked behind closed doors in fear. And commentators agree that given the way that the gospel of John likes to lay on the metaphors quite thickly, uh, John is conveying to us that the disciples are experiencing something of that tense, anxious, paralyzing kind of fear. Specifically, we read they fear the Jews, and they themselves are, are Jewish, so they're not speaking of all Jews everywhere and all time. They fear the specific Jewish leaders who were central to making sure that Jesus was crucified and, and, and were perhaps worried that those same Jewish leaders might now come for them. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, Mary Magdalene has already told these disciples that Jesus is risen. They've already heard the good news of resurrection. Death has not won. Jesus is stronger than the worst that the enemy can throw at him. Surely then their followers should be secure against any threat. Surely not a hair on their heads will be harmed. I mean, not ultimately, not with this Jesus who is stronger than evil, bigger than death, more able than the worst that the empire can dish out. They know Jesus is risen. But they're situated behind locked doors because trying to, because if you try to reason with a fearful child or a fearful adult, fear is never cast out, right, by perfect knowledge, perfect data, perfect statistics. Scripture instead declares it is perfect love, which casts out all fear. And so into that fearful room of disciples, love himself walks right through the locked door. We're not told quite how he comes through this closed locked door, but but next thing we know, he is there. He is standing among the disciples, and his first words, he declares, peace be with you. Peace, the Hebrew word shalom, well-being, goodness, flourishing, wholeness in all realms of your life be upon you. This moment, it's an echo of that most fundamental truth proclaimed at the outset of the gospel of John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. One of the most basic ways that love has given expression is simply by being present, being with being among. What a gift it is when parents sit with the nightmare filled child as they fall asleep. What a gift when another holds our hand as we are wheeled into 
the surgery. What a gift when another goes with us to the police as we file the report and then they assure us that we can stay at their home in the coming days. What a gift when another sits right beside us amidst a significant decision and then during the making of that decision and then after that decision has been made. Love breaks in and dwells among a people locked in fear. Of course, in this moment, love has changed none of the circumstances outside the house, has it? But isn't it amazing that even if all of the circumstances are exactly the same as they were 24 hours ago, a love made present with us still has a way of transforming so much. Love has a way of melting the fear, even if everything's still the same. Thanks be to God that this day we are assured not only that Jesus is risen and alive, but as Jesus puts it earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus abides in us. Love does not care a lick for locked doors. Thanks be to God. Love has made a home in us and among us by grace. And perhaps we are here this morning for the simple reminder that that is the truth. Love dwells among us. But then Jesus, he goes even further than that. He comes among them, and then he begins to show him his, his hands, his side, his wounds. You'd think Jesus might show his muscles, his sword, his throne, his army of angels. You'd think, right, the next step to drawing people out of fear, besides sitting with them, in that, would be to show them your strength, your assets, your connections. Show them what about yourself can really give them confidence everything's going to work out just fine. Look, look at all of my power, look at all my connections. Yeah, no need to fear. We're going to be all right. Love walks through the door, dwells with the disciples, and shows them his wounds, his scars. Many of you were here at Grace Covenant nearly a decade ago when Steve Cobb was pastor and, and, and his brain cancer returned. A difficult season for everyone, for everyone and certainly most especially Steve. His road since with treatments and all the rest has hardly been easy. And honestly, I, I personally know very little of, of all of the details. What I do know is that through a season of wounds and scars, God has brought Steve to a point where he's able and healthy enough to have a ministry where he ministers to others who have brain cancer. And so through a Grace Covenant member, Steve, he learns that uh, my mother was recently diagnosed with brain cancer. And, and uh, so he calls me a few weeks ago. He asks if, if it might be all right if he reaches out to my mom and stepfather who live in Hickory, North Carolina at some point. He also makes regular visits to some folks dealing with brain cancer right there in the greater Charlotte area. And, and he'd, happy, he'd be happy to make a pastoral visit with my mom and stepfather if, if they were up for it. Well, I give him their number. And a few days later when I'm visiting my mom in, in North Carolina, uh, she says, Bobby, that, that pastor Steve, he spoke with Warner, Warner, my father, uh, stepfather. He spoke with Warner and I on the phone for 20, 25 minutes and And it was just so wonderful. Next time he's in North Carolina, 
He's going to come visit us at our house. Now, my mom has received various phone calls, letters of encouragement, and all of them have meant a ton. She, in fact, she reads most of those notes and letters every single day. And yet there, there, is, there is still a qualitative difference in her face when she spoke about Steve because Steve knows the same wounds she now knows. Steve could speak and relate on a level that many just cannot appreciate. Steve has no mighty army of doctors and, and treatments behind him. What he has are his wounds that show a deep famili- familiarity with the suffering story. And his wounds can take a visage locked in fear and uncover an absolutely beautiful smile. Jesus shows his fearful disciples not his sword but his scars, not his power, but his pain. It's as if he's saying, I see your fear. And I've walked the journey. In this, this is the worst they can do. And with me, even the worst is redeemed unto something stronger, something more enduring, something far more beautiful. Isn't it when others come into our fear and they share their healed or even healing wounds that so often we find our own courage, our own joy. By his wounds, we are healed. Have you ever known Jesus' healing precisely because another has shared his or her resurrected wounds with you? And then the disciples rejoiced. And once their heart is not captive to fear and locked doors but joy, then finally the heart is available to hear what God has for us in this life. And so Jesus, he looks to speak to these previously paralyzed people and, and put them into motion through that locked door. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. In the same manner that I have come among you just as you are, In the same manner I've come among you and I've shared my healed wounds as testimonies to God's faithfulness and God's power. So you too, go likewise, do likewise. As I'm sent, so you are sent. And then Jesus does something at once immensely powerful and also sort of curious to end this section. Immensely powerful. He he breathes the Holy Spirit upon the church, the disciples. He empowers them for his, their work. And, and this, right, is the same breath in Genesis 1 that, that breathed creation into being. That same power is being breathed upon God's people. And truly, it feels like the passage could and should end there. All right, let's go among people and love people. And share our healed wounds with the same power of Jesus. Let's do it. Let's go. But then Jesus speaks one more word. It almost sounds like an add-on. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, if if you hold on to the sins of any, if you refuse to forgive the sins of any, well, then they're retained. They're still there. They're held on. Again, at first glance, that just feels like a non-sequitur from the rest of the passage in which Jesus loves these disciples out of, out of fear and into joy. But then recall, 
The last time Jesus was with these disciples, one of them, Peter, was denying he even knew Jesus. The others grew very silent and timid as Jesus endured this unjust trial and then carried his own cross and then was crucified. This is Jesus' first time since seeing them amidst all that. And Jesus has every reason to come back among this group and feel disappointed, feel hurt, feel upset, feel betrayed. But again, his first words when he steps through those locked doors. Do you remember? Peace be with you. I want you to know God's favor in all areas of your life. And then, and then do you remember the second word that Peter or that uh, Jesus spoke to all of them? The second thing he says in this short scene? He repeats. Peace be with you. One of the most essential ways we know that our heart has forgiven another person is that we truly and honestly and genuinely want the very best for that person or those people who have hurt us. By his very first two statements to the disciples, Jesus makes it clear that he wants God's very best for them he has forgiven them and forgiveness as the 20th century theologian reinhold niebuhr famously stated forgiveness is the final form of love and so it's not that just that jesus comes among the disciples and dwells with them in their fear it's not just that he shows them his wounds now healed But it's also the fact that they deserve none of this love. None of this kindness. None of this patience. They deserve the opposite. But perfect love casts out all fear. And is there anything safer and more freeing and more empowering in the world than to know that someone loves you no matter what you do or you don't do? Where you go or where you don't go. What job you do have or you don't have. What successes you make or what failures you make. What decisions you make or what decisions you don't make. Is not the most courage-giving, joy-giving kind of love. One that is filled with the assurance that you are and will be forgiven. You can't press the limits beyond the possibility. The way my parents brought me through my fear of someone kidnapping me was not only to sit with me at night while I fell asleep, not only telling me their own stories of of being afraid and how things had worked out, but underneath all of that love was the fact that I knew in the core of my being, even if I couldn't put it into the words, that nothing I ever did or did not do could or would possibly take away their love. Theirs was fundamentally a forgiving love. And that, more than any amount of locks, more than any amount of money, more than any amount of verbal assurances, that gave me a profound sense of security and joy throughout my growing up. Have you ever known the gift of a forgiving love? Have not those people been the presence and power and joy of Jesus in your life?
I mean, no wonder the disciples we read rejoice. No wonder the father throws a party for the prodigal son, right? Joy is always the fruit of perfect love, of forgiving love. And so when Jesus says, as the father has sent me, so I send you. In the manner I have loved you, so go in love. This is not only or just a call to be present with people in their fears, as Jesus does. It's that. But it's not just to share our stories of healed wounds with people in fear, as Jesus does. But most fundamentally, underneath all of that, it is to be a people who continually show forth in our posture, our way of being, that same forgiving love we have known. Because every act of forgiveness testifies to a God who can and does take the old And make something new. Take the wounds and bring forth a resurrection. One of the central ways that this world sees clearly the risen Jesus Christ and knows the joy of that for themselves is through the gift of forgiveness. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed upon his church. Amen.